The following broadcast is brought to you by Sons of God International and Freedom Fellowship Church. Hello, and welcome to the prophetic voice of our time, where we focus on the voice of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our host, Christina Sasso, is a senior pastor at Freedom Fellowship Church. Let's hear what she has to say to the body of Christ. Hello, thank you for tuning in. This is Joshua Sasso. And you are listening to the prophetic voice of our time. You know, church, it's so important that in this season, we are so busy doing those things that the Father would have us do. We need to be busy about the Father's business, okay? And this is important, not about our own business, not about our own priorities. We need to align ourselves with the priorities of God. And this is something that I really want to emphasize today because Jesus was our perfect example. He came down to earth and lived a holy and a blameless life. And in doing so, he perfectly embodied the will of the Father God in every action that he did. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the Son, and he's referring to himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do What he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So, we see here that Jesus, all of his actions, he's aligning them with the kind of actions that the Father God would do. In every word and in every deed, what Jesus did was in perfect alignment with the will of God. This is very important, and it's a very important example for us to understand as believers. There's a certain level of responsibility that is required for Christians that are stepping into the leadership position. You have to take it as your holy calling that in every word and in every deed, you are going to align yourself with the perfect will of God, which means You're going to hear direction from God, and you're going to exercise it in every area of your life. And this is what we have to understand because Jesus, he didn't take a single decision for granted, right? I mean, he said himself, I only do those things I see the Father doing. There was not a single sermon that Jesus preached that was, oh, you know, that could have been a little bit better. There was not a single occasion where Jesus said something outside of the perfect will of God. Even the places Jesus chose to go, he went there because he was led by the Spirit. See, so in every decision we make, in everything we say and do, we should strive that every single one of those things is 100% in the perfect will of God. And This is the kind of standard we should be holding ourselves to. We're shooting for being holy like God is holy, right? We're shooting for being the perfect embodiment of Jesus, where he walked that example and now we are walking it out. And this is such an important thing for the church to begin walking and understanding, especially in this season. God wants to give influence, affluence, and resources to his church so that we can transform this culture. 
But the Lord is not going to give those opportunities to people that continue to act according to their own will and their own motivations rather than the will of God. Several, I think it's been a month now, a month ago, the Lord gave a prophetic word to Pastor Christina, which she posed and and shared with the body. And we actually have it on our YouTube channel. I encourage you to look it up at our YouTube channel for SOGMI. What the Lord said to the body of Christ, he said, How long will you continue to waver between two systems? Either you will operate in the system of the kingdom of God or go back and operate in the system of the kingdom of the world. Because too often the body of Christ, what they do is they make their own decisions, they plan things out, they'll research it, and not once will they involve the Holy Spirit. Think about maybe when you're making a business decision. Maybe you're deciding, oh, you know, it's probably good that I invest in this. Maybe I need to put some money in this or that. You see, if God is the Lord of our lives, he should have a say in those things. We should not take a single decision for granted because Jesus didn't take a single decision for granted. Jesus was never at the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus was never in a place where he made a bad decision and then he had to ask for God to help him because of his bad decisions. But how many Christians is this the case? We need to begin holding ourselves to a higher standard. And until we start doing that, you will not reach the fullness of your calling in Christ. So Jesus, he was willing to undergo a discipline process, even when things, you know, didn't quite make sense. You know, Jesus, after he was anointed by John the Baptist, it says the Holy Spirit came upon him, right? And the voice of the Father came and it says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then in Matthew chapter four, right after, right, this grand showing of this is my son who I'm called, who I'm going to use mightily, right? After the Lord made the show of it, it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. You see, he's being led by the Holy Spirit where to go, what to say, what to do. And this is how we should be in everything that we do. So, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, that seems like a crazy thing to say. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. It's like, well, yeah, 40 days and 40 nights without any food? I'd be pretty hungry too. So the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And then the Holy Spirit led Jesus to fast for 40 days and nights. Now, this is something we have to understand, okay? So for 40 days, Jesus was already being very disciplined. Because, you know, maybe some of us, maybe the Holy Spirit would say, you're going to fast until I tell you to stop fasting, right? Maybe you get that instruction from the Holy Spirit. And then maybe after day two, you might be thinking, okay, is it enough, Lord? (laughs) Right? Maybe after one week, maybe you'd start faltering. But Jesus was so disciplined. The Holy Spirit said, you're going to fast. And so for 40 days, 
Jesus had already been obeying the direction of the Holy Spirit, and he had not yet seen the manifestation of it, but he was still being faithful. Now, this is the amazing thing. After 40 days of no food, that's when Satan shows up and starts to tempt him. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, right? Playing on his pride and playing on his physical needs, right? His hunger, his body. I'm sure his stomach was grumbling after 40 days. So here, the Holy Spirit led Jesus to fast for 40 days where he was going to be hungry, his stomach was going to be grumbling, so that the Satan could come and tempt him and say, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you turn those stones into bread? But see, Jesus did not give in to this temptation. He overcame these trials. This trial in the wilderness, it was, it was a form of proving ground for Christ. That the Lord was showing this Jesus, whom I have called, who is my own son, he will be able to withstand anything that goes up against him. And there's a certain refining process that we have to go through in order to step into our full calling. Because at this time in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had not yet begun his ministry. Okay? The Holy Spirit came upon him and God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But he had not yet started his ministry. Instead, the Lord started him with a journey in the wilderness where he could prove his faith. So there's this training process we have to undergo as Christians. Because similarly to Jesus, in a similar fashion, the Israelites were led through the wilderness before they entered the promised land. You see, so there is this transition period where you are proving, one, your faith, and you're also being purified, and you're being cleansed from the old system. Because the Israelites had a slave mentality. God brought them out from slaves to the Egyptians and into the wilderness. And in the wilderness... Their faith was tested, right? Some of them were grumbling. Why would God bring us out here if we're just going to starve to death? And then God provided manna from heaven. Why would God bring us out here if we're just going to die of thirst? And then God provided water from the rock. You see, for the Israelites, there was this paradigm shift where before, everything that they ate and drank came through a system where they were slaves to the Egyptians. And instead, now, all of their food, all of their water, it came directly from God. And so there was this transition period where, one, their faith had to be proven. They had to rely on God. They had to trust in God. And they had to go to God for all of their needs and all of their desires. And many of the Israelites, they began to idolize the old system. Oh, when we were Egyptians, at least we had all these vats of meat, right? They wanted to go back to the old system. And the Israelites that thought in that manner they never entered the promised land. You see, many Christians never get out of the wilderness because their faith in God is not strong enough to really trust him in everything. In James chapter 1, it says in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, so this perseverance, it shows us in James, is actually a necessary requirement for us to reach full maturity. The trials and going through the wilderness and being proven in your faith is necessary for this maturing process, okay? So there's a level of self-discipline that Christians need to begin employing in their own life. Because understand, yes, we're saved by grace. When you say the sinner's prayer and you really accept Jesus into your heart, yes, you have received salvation, okay? But God is not going to hand the keys to kingdoms and nations to somebody that is continuing to idolize the world's ways of doing things and continuing to operate in the world's ways of doing things. He will only give influence and authority to people who have persevered, who have proven their faith and undergone this discipline process. And if you really want to be used mightily by God, if you want to walk in the anointing, you have to undergo a discipline process. And you have to show God, yes, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm going to follow and obey you no matter what and not take for granted a single decision. Because let's say, for example, God were to hand some Christians the influence and authority over the banking industry. If you were to be handed that influence, could God trust you that in every decision you made, that you would consult the Holy Spirit? Or would you begin relying on financial experts? Would you begin relying on the analysts? Would you begin relying on maybe your own understanding and begin to think, well, I made this wealth for myself. And you have to be honest with yourself in these things. If you're not going to rely on God in every decision you make and really involve the Holy Spirit and take on the same mindset of Christ, I only do those things I see the Father doing. That means every action I do, every word I say, everywhere I go, I am aligning myself with the perfect will of God and I am being led by the Spirit everywhere I go. And I want you to imagine how different the world looks. Just, okay, just in the banking industry, in the financial industries, if the body of Christ were the ones leading those industries, right? So you're the ones that are lending money to even nations and businesses and governments. What ends up happening is there's a dramatic ripple effect that comes from the body of Christ being an influence. Because the promised land that the Israelites were led to, it was a rich and abundant land that God intended for the people of God to dwell in and rule and reign in. They, right? They were supposed to possess that land. But that land was being possessed by people that did not have a covenant with God. Right? They practiced witchcraft. They practiced idolatry. But they were powerful nations with fortified cities and giants and chariots and all of these things. But nonetheless, God said, I am handing you this land that I promised to your ancestors. But it was not until there was a generation that believed God and obeyed him. 
God had to wait an additional 40 years. And from the original generation, the only ones that made it in to the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. Because despite the circumstances, despite what things appeared like, Joshua and Caleb believed God and they obeyed him. That will be the deciding factor between those that are going to be in the transfer of wealth, influence, and affluence, those that are going to be anointed and that are going to move in power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so here, Paul is kind of painting this picture. He's, because all of us understand what it's like for some of these athletes, the kind of training that they go through to get that medal, right? You imagine something like the Olympics. Somebody like Michael Phelps, who's the most decorated Olympian of all time. In Michael Phelps's training process during his peak training phases, it's said that he swam a minimum of 80,000 meters a week, which is nearly 50 miles. He practiced twice a day, sometimes more if he's training at altitude, and that every day, about six days a week, he trained for five to six hours a day just for a shot to right, get into the Olympics, for just a shot to get that medal right? This is the kind of attitude that people in the world that are competing for that prize, they have. They understand that they need to go through a strict discipline process. That I'm going to train, right? Six hours a day if I have to, so that I'm going to be the best swimmer in the world, the best runner in the world. I'm going to be faster than anybody else. They understand that if you want to get that prize, you have to Discipline yourself. You know, something that happened when I ran cross country in high school is that the track meets, they were three mile races. So when you run a 5K, it's three miles. So during practice, our coach many times would make us run more than three miles, make us run, you know, five miles. Because, hey, if you can run five miles, then three miles isn't a problem, right? If you're going to compete at that level, you have to go under a strict discipline process. But many Christians have an entitled kind of attitude where, well, I deserve to be blessed by God. Well, I deserve to see the manifestation of my God. I deserve the leadership position, right? I deserve to be recognized for my anointing. You see, God has saved us by grace, but he is not going to give you influence and authority until you have matured spiritually and have been willing to undergo the discipline process. You see, if the Olympians are willing to undergo this strict training regiment and they're competing for a temporary prize, that's going to fade away, right? 
even though something like, say, an Olympic medal is something that people around the world, they're like, wow, that's a big deal. It's still a temporary prize. We're running a race that the deeds we do on Earth today, they have an effect on eternity. We are doing it to get a crown that's going to last forever. That's what, that's what Paul says, which means that we as Christians, we should be far more motivated and far more eager to really train and get up to speed than any, even the best athletes in the world, right? We should really have that attitude to where we're like a bulldog. It's like, yes, I want the will of God to manifest in my life. I'm going to grab onto it. I'm not going to let it go. And we should have that same fire in our belly that even the best athletes have. In fact, we should have an even greater fire for the things of the Lord because we're dealing with eternity. Okay? And I want to close with this, okay? So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, so God wants to prepare you to step into your calling. Now, Paul describes how self-discipline is necessary and that we should run the race as if to win the prize, right? We're not passively doing it. We're going to run it as best as we can. And he continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this is what he follows up with. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. He's referring to the Israelites going through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now that's really interesting. Paul is making this comparison of the Israelites passing through the Red Sea and he's comparing it to the baptism we receive in Christ, where before the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians and we were slaves to sin. They passed through the water and they emerged out the other end, no longer slaves. The same happens to us in baptism. So what Paul is showing us here is that the wilderness journey, it was not just a physical journey the Israelites took. It was a spiritual one and it provides an image for what our spiritual journey can look like. So they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Isn't that amazing? See, the wilderness journey, it's preparation for inhabiting the promised land. And since now we know it's a spiritual journey, right? We too have to eat the same spiritual food manna from heaven. And we have to drink the same spiritual drink out from the rock that is Christ Jesus. And until that becomes normal and commonplace for you, right? That should be an everyday occurrence for you that every day you're getting manna from heaven. Every day you're drinking from the rock, miraculously provided by God. Until that is how you operate in your day-to-day life, you will not enter the promised land. And in the promised land, that is where you will reach the fullness of your calling, where you are waging spiritual warfare at a national and global level, where you are transforming culture and transforming industries. That's what God is calling the church to do.
But so much is given, so much is required. We need to make sure, and I'm urging you this, don't take any decision for granted. Don't take any opportunity for granted. In every situation, you should do as Christ did, and you should try to embody the perfect will of God in your life, which means that in every decision that you do, you are led by the Spirit, and you are obeying the leading of the Spirit. Because God will not give you influence and authority and opportunities at the level we're talking about until you have reached full maturity. So I encourage you, let's run the race as if to win the prize. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Joshua Sasso, and you've been listening to the prophetic voice of our time. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the prophetic voice of our time. We really hope you were blessed by today's episode. And if you were, we want to hear from you. You can call us at 210-695-1630. Or you can email us at sogmi at outlook.com. That's S-O-G-M-I at Outlook.com. And we really encourage you to visit our website, sogmi.org. That is S-O-G-M-I dot That's where you can listen to previous episodes of this podcast and even support this podcast. We're supported by listeners just like you. So if you want to support this ministry, you can go to S-O-G-M-I dot and hit the donate button. You can also send a check to P.O. Box 1579, Lotus, Texas, 78023. Again, that is Heal Box, 1579, Lotus, Texas, 78023.